Uh, turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, and today we're going to read verses 1 through 11 as we talk about the temptations of Jesus, the temptations of Jesus. Uh, these are covered in our Gospels in order to help us understand that we face temptation every day, but Jesus is the new Adam who not only survived the temptations, but taught us how to uh, survive our temptations and come out stronger because the word tempt and the word test in the New Testament is the same word. And it depends on how it's used in context as to whether it's translated tempt or to test. And so I've come to learn in studying this passage of Scripture that through every temptation there is a testing. And our faith is tested, our discipline is tested, our relationships are tested, especially our relationship with the Heavenly Father. And uh, I pray that this passage will be an encouragement to you today because we all face temptations. And we're going to break this sermon into two parts. Uh, the first part is going to be some observations about the temptations Jesus faced. And we're going to do some Bible study here. And, and then after that, we're going to have some application to our life and how we can be stronger in, uh, as we faced uh, tempting times. And this is a spiritual battle now that doesn't come along every now and then. This is a spiritual battle you face every single day. That's how appropriate and applicable this passage is for you and for me. This is something we deal with every day of our life. So will we thrive or will we just try to survive? Uh, the temptations that we face. You actually can thrive in the temptations uh, that, that we face. Let's pray together before we read the scripture. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that has inspired the Word of God and speaks to the people of God through your Word. And I pray today that we will have fresh insight into how we can better deal with our own temptations and that we become humble and uh, out of our humility uh, may we rededicate our lives today to be more disciplined in the spiritual disciplines. Prayer, fasting, uh, reflection, worship, Bible study, and reading the Word of God. And I pray, Lord, that you will speak clearly. Set aside the preacher and may your Holy Spirit be the voice that we hear today in, as we hear what thus saith the Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in verses uh, 3 and 17 of chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. And uh, at the end of his baptism, verse 17, the, the voice came out of heaven in verse 17 and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus had just received the uh, anointment of the Holy Spirit and the blessing from the Father and declared who he was. He was the Son of God. Make no mistake about it. He was the Son of God. And then the very Spirit that anointed him led him into a time of spiritual discipline. Now that's a word that Baptists don't use very often, spiritual disciplines. When we talk about spiritual discipline, we're talking about a time of breaking away from your busy schedule, a time where you pray, a time where you might even fast, a time where you reflect on God's Word, memorize God's Word, a time where you focus on your relationship and just sit with the Father. 
people talking about spiritual disciplines think that it's some complicated thing. It's really not. It's a practice that you have to keep practicing. And as you continue to practice it, it affects every area of your life. I've, I've come to understand in studying spiritual disciplines, I'm not the best at it, but I keep hacking at it. And, uh, but I've come to learn that uh, it's no different than um, if you're going to be a football player on a football field and, uh, and uh, you, you know, the quarterback says, uh, now you run down, take a left, and go long. I'm going to throw you the football. If you've not practiced before you play, you're probably going to catch, not going to catch that football. In fact, the first guy that hits you on the line is probably going to put you on the ground, and you'll never get the football. But if you have practiced and practiced and practiced, when it comes your time to catch the ball, you'll catch it, and you'll make a touchdown, or you'll score, or you'll do something for, for the team. And so it is in the activity of God. God's wanting us to catch things. He's wanting us to be blessed. He's wanting us to thrive. He's wanting us to win in this life. But if we haven't practiced, then we're going to miss the ball. Spiritual discipline is about practicing. It not only affects your spiritual life, it affects your physical life as well. And here we see Jesus. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now that does not mean that God intended for him to be tempted by God. God doesn't tempt anyone, the Bible says. But it was a time where he faced temptations that zeroed in or focused in on his identity. Because verse 17 and verse 1 of chapter 4 are closely related. He has declared the Son of God by a voice from heaven. Now, is he really going to act? Is he going to be? Is he going to demonstrate by his behavior that he truly is God-dependent? Is he truly God-dependent? Is he truly the Son of God? Is that his true identity? Every temptation you and I face tests that same issue. Are you a child of God or not? And Satan will put doubt in your mind and say, if you are a child of God and make you doubt yourself, he will try to get you to doubt yourself, doubt your identity in Christ. And, and uh, he wants to bring back to you that old nature where sin was in control of your life and then blame you and shame you so that you will feel defeated and you won't act on behalf of the Lord. Verse 2 says, When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Now you hear that word 40, and your mind goes back to an Old Testament passage in the book of Exodus when God's people crossed the Red Sea, and the first thing they did was go into the wilderness. Just like Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, and then he went into the wilderness. God's people crossed the Red Sea, which is a symbol of salvation, and then they went into the wilderness, not for 40 days, but for how long? 40 years. 40 years. So Jesus is fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and then he became hungry. If you're thinking about fasting, this is not where you want to start. <laughs> if, you, if you've not done this before, and I'm not an expert at fasting. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, number one, if you're going to fast, don't tell anybody. That's what Jesus said. Don't, don't go around saying, 
Oh, poor me, I'm fasting. I can't have any ice cream or this, that, and other. Don't y'all feel sorry for me? Uh, no, that's not the way to do it. Jesus said, don't tell anybody about it. It's between you and the Heavenly Father. And uh, number two, don't start with a 40-day fast. Your body's not ready for it. Your body's not, and you'll, you know, after about three days, you'll go, I'll just give up on this. <laughs> this is not doing me any good. Um, take three days. And then later on, try five days. And later on, for, for a week. Um, only those who are in the monastery might can go 40 days and 40 nights, but I don't recommend it for you and me. Jesus is the Son of God. And kind of like when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says he invited his disciples with him, and he said, now y'all sit down here and pray. And the Bible says he went a little farther, and he continued praying all night, and they couldn't keep up with him. They went to sleep. And he came back and said, uh, can't you just stay awake a couple of hours? And then Jesus goes a little farther, and he prays again. Jesus always exceeds, exceeds our ability in the spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting so uh, I'm more like the disciples I'm more likely to fall asleep I'm more likely to get hungry after two or three days and I need to I need to um, eat eat again and and don't do without water if you ever try fasting don't do without water verse 3 says the tempter came and he said to him if you're the son of God command that these stones become bread Jesus is physically hungry and he, as the Son of God, does have the power to convert the stones to bread should he decide to do so. And Satan tempts him to not depend upon the Heavenly Father to provide for him. And Jesus responds how? He responds with the Word of God. The whole um, point of spiritual disciplines is to be better acquainted with the Word of God. Because it is the Word of God that is the only uh, battle armament, armament that you and I have to fight the devil. It's the only offensive weapon that we have. The Bible says, put on the full armor of God that you may stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Put on the full armor of God. Now what's the full armor of God? Helmet of salvation breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the gospel, etc., etc. But it also says take on the sword of the Spirit. The only offensive weapon that we have to fight with in spiritual battles is the Word of God. And that's what Jesus uses here in verse 4. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And this ends the first temptation. Then in verse 5, the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the porch of the temple. And he said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it does say, it is written in the Scriptures, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan can quote Scripture too. But he uses it to trip you and to shame you and to blame you. Satan's whole purpose in this world is to destroy you. And don't you doubt, but that's what he's trying to do right now, this very moment. Some of you need to be saved today, and he's trying to take away that opportunity from you. He's trying to distract you with your brain uh, on something else. He's trying to 
uh, get in the way of your opportunity to be saved today. He's trying everything he can to keep you out of heaven. He's trying everything he can to destroy what little joy you and I can, can, uh, can have in this life. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. We're going to talk in a moment about some of the realities in this observation is that there really is such a thing as spiritual battle and spiritual warfare. It's taking place all around us. We can't see it with our human eyes, but you feel it in your heart and you know it when you're distracted by Satan's temptations. He will even use the Bible and misquote it in order to, um, in order to distract you. And Jesus said to him, with the word of God, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And this quote from Scripture zeroes in on the heart of all temptation. All temptation is testing God. God, are you really who you say you are? God, are you really going to come through for me? God, do you really love me? God, are you going to provide for me? God, where are you? You ever asked that before? Well, that is the very heart of all temptation, is to doubt that God is God, and that God is good, that God is faithful, and that God loves you. That's the heart of all temptation. In verse 8, we find the third temptation. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you. Now that's a lie right straight from the place that starts with the letter H. I mean, that is a lie. That is a lie. That is a lie. This world does not belong to anyone but God. This is God's world. Now we've made a mess of it. But it's still God's world. And Christ has come into our world to redeem this world and transform this world and create a new heaven and a new earth. It is not Satan's to give you. It doesn't belong to the snake. It belongs to the Savior. All things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Exalt yourself instead of Christ. And you can have anything you want in this world. I've often said it, and I'll say it again. You can have anything you want in this world, withstanding you know, some limitation, but you can have just about anything you want in this life, but you can't have everything. And whatever you decide you want, there's a price to be paid. There's a price to be paid. In verse 10, Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan! Go back to where you came from. Are you courageous enough to tell the devil to go to where he came from? You'll try that sometime. It works. Satan be gone. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him. And behold, angels came and began to minister unto him. Other Gospels say that the devil came back later. And there were many times, even through the apostles, uh, Satan raised his head and began, because he said to Peter at one time, Satan, get behind me. Because Satan will use people for his purposes. Let me make a few observations. Number one, as we said earlier, there is an invisible spiritual world around us. 
One is the world of demons and demons' angels who are active in principalities and powers that we cannot see with our, with our physical eyes. But they have messengers. And their messengers are being heard by everyone in the world who does not declare the name of Jesus Christ. There are also angels that if you saw them, they'd take your breath away. They are so beautiful. They are the hosts of God's heaven. They caused the shepherds to be afraid at first, but when they heard the message from the angels, the shepherds calmed down and said, tell us what we need to do, we'll go do it. There are spiritual beings called angels. And the ones who followed Satan and rebelled against the Lord are his kingdom of this earth, and they are temporary, and they have been conquered at the cross of Jesus Christ. We are in this spiritual warfare. We cannot escape it. And because we are in spiritual warfare, we put on Christ to fight our battles for us. Don't ever think, don't ever think, you can deal with any temptation successfully. You'll mess up every time. You don't have the, you don't have the knowledge of Scripture that you need because you've not been involved in spiritual disciplines like memorizing Scripture. And if you haven't been memorizing Scripture, by the way, there's a deacon's meeting today, and we're holding each other accountable, and guess what we're doing? We're memorizing some Scripture at a deacon's meeting. It, this, today is the day of accountability. hope you guys don't skip out, but... <laughs> memorizing Scripture is a spiritual discipline. And so we need to put on the full armor of God that we can fight, allow the Lord to fight for us, and the only offensive weapon we have is the sword of the, the, sword of the Word of God. But we're not alone. Abraham, who was a friend of God, lied about his wife. Jacob, who the Bible says loved God, deceitfully schemed to get God's blessings. Moses, who was a prophet of God, was filled with pride. And David, a king after God's own heart, had an affair and committed murder. You're not by yourself. We are not alone in this spiritual battle. We struggle. We all struggle with temptation. The Bible says Satan is out there like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I remember when I took a mission trip to Kenya, and we'd finished the two and a half weeks of revivals out in the bush country, um, we had the opportunity to go to a game park. And uh, when you go to a game park, uh, you can see the giraffes because they're way up there. You know, you see their heads. And they're just beautiful out there. And you see all kinds of other animals. And everybody wanted to see the lions. Everybody wants to see a lion. And so we, we drive on way out into the game park area, and there's a pond out there. And uh, we park where we can watch the pond. And we never saw the lions. They never came out to drink the water. And some in our group seemed to be disappointed because they didn't see the lions. Somebody spoke up and said, well, where are the lions? We don't see any lions. And the driver, who was uh, one of the uh, guides, said, uh, well, the lions are here. You don't see them, but they see you. They, they, they see you. They're in the grass. You can't see them, but they see you. I've always 
felt that that was the picture of Satan trying to devour you and me. He's like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. You don't see him a lot of times in your temptations, but he sees you, and he knows where your weakness is. He knows where to cast the bait. Some of you around here love to fish, and you make your own lures, and you know what you're after. And you, you just hang it right over there and, and jig a little, little, little bit, and that fish he cannot resist, and you've caught him. And Satan knows where to hang your temptation and hold it right in front of you, and he doesn't quit until he's caught you, until he's destroyed your life, destroyed your reputation, destroyed your future, destroyed God's plans for your life. But none of us are beyond redemption. I have failed time and time and time again to Satan's lures. But I have a Savior that's stronger than Satan. I have a Savior who takes a hook out of my mouth and says, let's try this again. I have a Savior who says, I know what it's like to be tempted like you are. Some people say, well, how could Jesus be tempted? He was God, wasn't he? Wasn't he complete deity as well as full humanity? Well, if he was fully human, in the book of Hebrews, it says he was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. But how could he be tempted if he was God? Because God cannot be tempted. How do you, how you figure that out? And Russell Moore has a book out that kind of explains that question. And he gives this illustration. He said, think about it for just a minute. You've got a child in your, in your home that is your child. Could you kill your child? Well, you love your child so much that you wouldn't even think about doing it. But you could. And Jesus loved the Father so much that he could have sinned, but he loved the Father more. And he didn't. And with every temptation, he shows us how to escape, the Bible says. He shows us the way to recover from that temptation. One, it's the Word of God. Two, choose the will of God. Do I want what God wants for me more than what I want for me? When Jesus was tempted to turn stone into bread, he was tempted out of his hunger. What do you hunger for? What do I want? What do I want out of life? What do I want, what do I want from the world? We have needs. We have desires. These are things that we want. Do I want God's will more than I want my own. And when I study God's Word, I determine that God's will is better than what I want. God's will is always better than what I want. Because when I follow His will, He gives me what I want. That's uh, Psalm 37, verse 4 and 5. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. When I was a kid, I wanted to fly airplanes. I wanted to be in the Air Force. Uh, Vietnam was going on. B-52s were coming over my house while me and my grandma were digging potatoes. And I thought, that looks like a lot more fun than digging potatoes with my grandma. I think I want to do that the rest of my life. And I ate, slept, and drank flying airplanes. I used to pretend I was in a jet airplane when I was riding my bicycle. You know, had a lot of fun in the country when nobody's watching. You know, you grow up by yourself. And um, 
when I turned 17, God says, I have a will for your life. I want you to preach the gospel. And I didn't want to. And God made me so miserable that I said, Lord, if you'll just take away the misery, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And the misery left and the vision came. I want you to preach the Bible. I still remember as a kid, a young kid with my very first Bible that had no pictures in it, just a lot of small King James Version lines, and I couldn't find anything in it. And it was as if God had spoken through me and said, one of these days, I'll understand this Bible in Hebrew and Greek. When I went to seminary, I never lost that desire. I loved the grammar of Hebrew and Greek. Absolutely loved it. Just couldn't get enough of it. When I came back to Louisville, Linda and I spent six years in Louisiana pastoring a couple of churches. And when I came back to Louisville, I was attending an associational meeting. That's why I say pastors go to your associational meetings. Pastors hate going to associational meetings. They just don't want to do it. But I went, I was faithful, and the guy walked up to me and said, Say, we need a chaplain in the Air National Guard. Would you be interested? I went to the Air National Guard and served 29 years flying that F-4 jet and uh, flying in C-130s and getting to travel all over the world. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. I would have washed out of pilot school because my eyes were bad and I had vertigo. You know those little kiddie rides at, at the fair that go around like this? I can't ride those little kiddie rides. I get sick. I get vertigo. I would have washed out in pilot school. See, God knows your future better than you do. He knows what you can do better than you do. He knows where you're strong. He knows where you're weak. And Satan tempts, Satan's temptations are at the point of your weakness so that you will not trust the will of God. So to fight temptation, we need to be in His Word and we need to surrender to His will. Let's make some applications and we'll close. The first temptation of Jesus to, to turn stone into bread is called the temptation of self-gratification. We talked about that a little bit a while ago. We have desires, we have wants, and sometimes we'll take a shortcut to get what we want. If you meet somebody in life that's always taking a shortcut, and that's some of you in here. I don't know who you are, but it's in every crowd there's somebody that's trying to take a shortcut. You have, you have lost, or, or let me say it this way, you've not yet discovered that adult maturity of waiting. That's why we teach children, wait until whatever and you'll get whatever. Learn to wait. And those that can't wait, take the shortcut. And those that take the shortcut, never get anywhere in life. You circumvent your own success. We have desires. We desire what is good, what is God-given. These good things, we want food, we want water, we want sleep, we want sex, we want relationships, we want companionship. And this is where Satan works in these desires that we have for the things that God made that are good. You desire food, but he tempts you toward undisciplined overeating. Thought I'd just start right there with that one and hit myself right in the forehead, you know. Just, there I am. You desire sleep, and he tempts you toward apathy and laziness. You, you desire sex, and he tempts you toward sins of lust and pornography and adultery and homosexuality. 
But at the core of self-gratification is this thought. God's not providing for me in the way that I want, so I'll seek my own gratification apart from Him. Satan tempts us to fulfill God-given wants apart from God's will. Self-gratification must be conquered. Jesus conquered it here in this Bible by saying, My want, my feeling, is to do the will of God. Now let me push here just a little bit. Many of you have been asked to serve in certain capacities of this church, including the children's department. And your response has been no. And the reason people give is usually something to do with self-gratification. That may work for you, but it doesn't work for the kingdom of God. That may make you feel justified, but that does not fulfill the Great Commission. To serve that others may know Jesus, particularly the most vulnerable of our congregation, is an act of surrender to the will of God. And that's what God wants. God wants us to be servants to others, not to sit and soak but to give and to serve. The greatest heroes of our church are those who work with children. Do I get to stay another week as the pastor? Or did, I, did I go over the line? Or what, what do you think? The greatest heroes of our church are those who serve our children. Those who love our children enough to say, I will serve. All right, enough said about that. Self-gratification is a temptation. Another temptation is self-protection. I want to take care of me. We are tempted to question, is God with us? Or is God not with us? That was the question in the wilderness temptation of the Israelites when they wanted water, they needed water, and couldn't find water. All they could find were rocks in a desert. And you and I get to that same place many, many times in our life where we wonder, where is God? Why is He not providing for me? Why, is he, why am I going through all of this? Um, this isn't something I planned this isn't something I want. God, where are you? And then when we try to act to take care of ourselves instead of letting God come through and take care of us, then we're acting on a temptation that doesn't wait on the Lord. We are tempted to question His plans for us when they don't go the way we like. We're tempted to doubt His love for us when something goes wrong. We're tempted to ask for signs that He is still with us even though He has shown His faithfulness to us over and over and over again. The third temptation of Jesus here 
is to exalt ourselves. Instead of uh, yielding to the exaltation of Christ, we exalt ourselves. Jesus was tempted to step off, to, to, or to give rather himself to the devil so that he could have all the kingdoms of this world. And he told Satan, no, that's not the path I'm going. He chose the path instead to the cross instead of the path of self-exaltation. And we're tempted the same way. We're tempted to assert ourselves in the world and then we rob God of his worship. In other words, you hear people say, look at me. Look what I did. Look how wonderful I am. We want to be self-exalted instead of exalting Jesus. I want to close out with five lies or four lies that Satan uses to, for you and me, uh, to you and me, uh, in order to tempt us. And some of these people say is in the Bible. One is, God just wants you to be happy. You ever heard anybody say that? I've heard it a lot. I, I've heard it a lot. And it's usually used in order to um, give a kind of reason for some sin that we've done. God just wants me to be happy, so I'm going to wreck everybody else's life. Another lie of Satan is, hey, you only live once. Back home in Louisiana, we said that was the last four or five words of a redneck. Hey, guys, watch this. You only live once. Here's another lie Satan uses. Your feelings are ultimate reality. What you feel is what's real. When the truth is, reality may be far from how I feel. And then the last one I've heard in all my life. It's in the Bible, they say. It's really not. God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. Well, I found myself helpless when Mom died. Found myself helpless in that plywood mill, and I surrendered to the Lord. I found myself helpless many a time, even in the hospital. But God was not helpless. He came through. He provided. He declared himself to be Lord and God and in charge. And I can give praise and glory to God today because the strength to thrive in temptations is a gift of God's Holy Spirit. Yes, it is the Spirit that guided Jesus into the desert, and it is the same Spirit that's a work in your life and mine in these desert times when we are tempted and when we are tested. Let me invite you to stand together, if you will with heads bowed and with eyes closed. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace that's fresh every morning, that when we do fall to temptation, you restore us. You remove our past, our sins, as far as the east is from the west. And we rise again in a fresh start 
because of your mercy and your Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, speak to us as we, um, as we follow your lead in this, temp- in this time of uh, uh, hymn singing. We pray that decisions will be made that will bring glory and honor to Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. In his name we pray. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church. 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.